0: So this morning, I just want to show you that Jesus, as he teaches the Sermon on the Mount, and I agree with Pastor Fergus, that the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, is truly a centerpiece in a believer's life. And if every believer wants to follow Jesus, they must really take some time to really go through 5, 6, and 7. And at the center of it, between chapter 5 and chapter 6, and in chapter five, you have the principles of the Christian's life, the beatitudes. Then you have this whole understanding of how does one live the law out? How do you, how do you go even to not look at someone with lust? How do you do that? How do you how do you walk the second mile? And in the between that and then the choices one has in life, in chapter seven, do I choose the High, the narrow road or the, or the wide road? Do I choose to be a good tree or a bad tree? Good foundations or wrong foundations? In the middle of that sandwich, sandwiching these two as a central truth, the truth of who is God and the central truth that Jesus releases in Matthew chapter 6 is God as Father. So permit me, to, so you're in for a really great time uh, when we talk about chapter 6. We have three pastors preaching chapter 6. I'm teaching or I'm sharing. I dare not call it a teaching, I call it a sharing because you'll find that I'm truly organic in this. How does one share one's life, right? It, it cannot be in uh, three points and that's done, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't share my life in three points. So f- forgive me if today I sound all over the place. It will be all over the place. But... So I'm doing verse 1 to verse 18, and then Pastor Fergus did verse 19 to 25, I think. And Pastor Isaac will close it up from verse 25 right up to 34. So join me now in reading the central portion, uh, first portion, which is Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 18. I feel that it's good for us to read scripture together. And if you're good for that, why don't you read it loud and strong? Are you ready to read it loud and strong? Amen. So if you're ready, say amen. amen. All right, Let's do it. Ready? One, two, three. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret Do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then, is how you should pray. Can we say it really strong and loud? One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. And when you fast, Do not look somber as the heathens do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but you are who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Wow, what a powerful reading of Scripture. As you read chapter 6 of Matthew, you find that there is one subject matter that's constantly repeated. And this is the word, Father. And so many, many years ago, soon after I was filled with the Holy Spirit, there was one moment in my, very soon after I was filled with the Holy Spirit, God began to take me to Matthew chapter 6. And he highlighted to me that this is the time Jesus begins to introduce to his disciples and even to the crowd that the word Father, the name Father, God, is an important part of the very existence of a believer's life. The word Father occurs 10 times in one to verse 18 alone, and another two times in the next few verses. So the word Father and the person of God as Father is central to our Christian life. In fact, I would say this. If you and I do not know God as Father, we are, in a, in a sense, we are very much shortchanged. And one of the reasons why Jesus came into the world was to reveal who God is as Father. Now, this is what Jesus said. Jesus is talking to his disciples in John chapter 14. In fact, one of the major teachings of who the Father is to Jesus is found in John's gospel. So I'm going to read some excerpts of John's gospel. Jesus answered and said to his disciples, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he says this, No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father. From now on, you do know Him and you have seen Him. So in other words, Jesus is saying, when you accept Jesus Christ as Saviour, you are being introduced also to the Father. In fact, you cannot know the God, Jesus, without knowing the Father. Neither can you come to the Father if you do not know Jesus. Then Jesus also said to Philip, Don't you know, even after being among you such a long time, don't you know me, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Now listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus is beginning to explain to his disciples the father is not another entity up there, but is so intertwined with his life that the very essence of Jesus is the father expressing himself to the son. And the union of the father and the son is something so unique that we, Jesus actually wants us to know it. Because as you go on in chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, one of the greatest truths, therefore Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you want to know what life as a believer is, you must know the way I live out my life with my Father. As me and my Father are one, so me and my Father and you are one. In fact, the Holy Spirit's main job is to introduce everything that comes from God the Father through the Son, to us. So the intricate union of Jesus with the Father is the desire of God that we too will have an intricate union with Father God. look at what Jesus says. The words I say, even the words he says, I say, are not mine alone. They belong to the Father who sent me. Wow. The words he says is not independent of the Father, but it's a flow from the Father to the Son to us isn't that beautiful and I love this I love the father and I do exactly what my father has commanded me the only way we can live out Matthew chapter 5 is to know the father the only reason why we Jesus does exactly able to obey the father is because he has not only understood he has embraced but he has internalized the love of the Father for him and his expressive love to the Father. So all obedience has sprung from this intricate relationship of Father and Son. In the same way, God wants us to know that. And I want to add this other beautiful thing. Many of us think that we can do great things for God, but look at Jesus. Look at what he says. He says this, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. Now, this is Jesus. Jesus is saying, actually, don't do anything independently of the father. Whatever I do, he says, I've seen what my father has done. And because whatever the father does, the son also does. I love this. I love it. It makes it makes serving God so much easier. It makes even running a church so much easier. It makes planning for the church so much easier. It's not about my plans. But what have I seen the Father do? Because if Jesus says, you can do nothing of yourself except what you see the Father does, then it, I oh, I need to follow that same route. I need to know what my Father does. And you know what? Whatever I do, the Father is doing. And so it becomes easy to just flow in alongside the Father. And Jesus says, I love this other verse. The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Which means, I'll give you three things about us as we follow Jesus. To know the Father. We all know that ours is not a religion, it's a relationship. But what kind of relationship is it? There are three ways you can be related to God. The first is as a believer. And how many believers do we have in this house today? Come on, those of you who are believers, just put up your hands. Say, I'm a believer. All right? Great job. It is great to be a believer. In fact, believers are great people. Believers have such a deep conviction of who God is. They even say God is the almighty God. They even say this is who God is. But the problem of a believer is that this book becomes a book. It becomes a list of do's and don'ts. It becomes even like in Matthew chapter six this set set of people who say that, oh, I'm a believer, so I must tithe, I must give alms to the poor, I must do good works, I must go to Saba, I must do all these things. It's essential part of a believer. But if we do not know the Father, it becomes very functional. So we feel a bit guilty when we don't go to Saba. We feel a bit guilty when we haven't given enough. And in fact, we need to know, who knows that I'm going to Saba. Who knows that I'm giving to God? We are seeking approval from somewhere else. In other words, it's very functional. In fact, prayer, as much as it is a very spiritual exercise, many people do not understand prayer. You know why many people do not understand prayer? Because they see prayer as functional. Every believer prays, so I need to attend some prayer meeting. I go to a few prayer altars and I feel like, yeah, I need to pray. But as long as prayer is only from a believer's mindset, actually we struggle with prayer, which is why I think we struggle with prayer. The reason why we struggle with prayer is because it's functional. We are not really sure what is at the essence of prayer. I will tell you this one thing in a short while. Prayer to me has got nothing to do with what others see, whether I pray or not. Prayer to me has got nothing to do with anything about the nation or anything first. It doesn't start there. Jesus taught prayer, our Father in heaven. Prayer is not a functional set of do's that I must do, a ritual that I need to do just because I'm a believer. The third thing in Matthew chapter 6, that the Jesus talks about the functionalities of believers. Is this need to fast? We will be coming to a season of fasting and I am the worst faster on earth. Every time I talk about fasting, they will catch me nibbling. Especially potato chips and all this junk food. Because I find it really hard to fast. So what is the purpose of fasting? What is it that, is it a ritual? What is that the essence of it? What do I need to put in as the essence? So this is what believers do. They struggle also with all the teachings. And I want to say this, and I respect you honestly. I've, because I've met so many people in my lifetime, a lot are great Bible scholars and teachers. But as long as it becomes a system of dogma and truths, you're only a believer. And you will never know God as father. So we need to move on from a believer. Now, many of us move on and we become servants. How many of you here are servants of God? Come on, we need to see all those hands go up. In fact, all of you are because you shake people's hands, you smile at people, you serve coffee to people, you talk to people, your ushers, your traffic, you do all these things, servants. A servant is a great uh, thing, but to tell you the truth, the problem with serving God is this. We feel like we're giving so much of our time to God. We feel like we have done so much for God. In fact, recently, one of my wonderful young people who really has given her life to serve God felt really disturbed because even as she served God, so many of her personal prayers were not answered. So many. She came to a point where she felt like, this is just not fair. I've served so hard. The problem with serving, is becomes transactional. It becomes an entitlement. I've served so hard. I've served so hard. I've done so much. I have watched missionaries. I've prayed for missionaries as, as doctors. We had to look after a lot of servants of God. Very often in the times of their life, they grudge God with what they have done. How come? Because it's transactional. It's like, I did so much for you. You're obligated God to do something back for me. In fact, my this poor girl, uh, as she struggled through it, she was, felt that, I'm entitled to some of my prayers being answered. In fact, there was one point she was only asking God for something like $50, you know. And even that was like not answered. And she felt so frustrated. And it made it even more like a pouring salt upon her wound. She was walking into a worship session and the worship leader sang the song, Good, Good Father. And she said, what's so good about you, Father? $50 is so you cannot give. Wow. That is the danger. Of serving God alone. I want to tell you this in my entire life, after the Lord revealed to me that the most important relationship is not as just a believer, not even just as a servant, but as a son or a daughter. Actually, I tell myself, you can never really serve God. Because I tell you what, Jesus says a servant do not know what is in the master's heart. You see, if the relationship is one of believer, then God is a, an almighty God. He sounds distant. He sounds like he doesn't really know the struggles I'm going through. He doesn't know the issues of life. He doesn't know that we have kids to raise, uh, uh, food to bring on the table. He doesn't know that we have, we're anxious about our, our country, anxious about wars or whatever things. We're, actually, we're not anxious about wars, lah, but anxious about holidays. Lah. Now we don't want to go on the Budapest River. Lah. All these kind of things, right? He doesn't know. He doesn't know, right? Because he's distant. He's a God Almighty. What does he know? If we relate to God as a servant, then God becomes a, if God, if you're a servant, God is a, if God, if you're a servant, God is a, yeah. In fact, if you're a sheep, then God is a, if you're being healed, then God is a, so it's very functions, right? Transactional. But when God is your, when you are a son or a daughter, God is your, Father, to serve God as a son is very different from serving God as a servant. A son, as he serves, is piggyback on the father's shoulder. So imagine if my father was a plantation owner and I was serving alongside with him, I wouldn't call it serving. I was being carried on his piggyback. Well, I imagine it. Nowadays, fathers don't do that. And he would walk into the field and maybe he'd explain to me a lot about crops, about weeds, about life. Am I serving? No. I'm being served. I'm being grown. If my father was a businessman and he took me to his office and showed me how he runs the business, how I should not do this, how I should not do that, how do I treat workers? Am I serving? No. I am growing. So that's why the relationship to God as a father is a very what I would call beautiful and central relationship in a believer's life. I want to share this because not only incidentally, a father-son relationship is the primary relationship of a human being. And I just want to deviate a bit because why is this understanding? Why is it important for us to know God as father? Because to be honest, God gave us fathers to really build into our lives and to really shape us. I have a very, very good father. My earthly father loved us. So much so that I went to university to study in Edinburgh. You know, we are not from a rich family. He actually accompanied me to Edinburgh. In those days, to travel by air is a big, big thing. And when he went with me to Edinburgh, to be very honest, i have a very good father. But he was not a very communicative father. He hardly talked to me. He hardly said a word. But he took me to my... Uh, hostel in Edinburgh and he even bought me a furry furry hat a sheepskin hat you know it was a bit ugly for girls but never mind uh you know like we girls uh what do fathers know huh? what do husbands? that's why husbands don't buy anything for us just give us the money okay <laughs> this is the tip this is a tip <laughs> but you know, just the very fact that he was worried that I would be cold, that at Edinburgh is a very cold place, really told me my father loved me. And it meant so much to me, meant so much to me. But I'll tell you this one thing, no matter how good your father is, there are still missing things in our father. But I want to add this, until you have experienced God as father, it's very, very hard to be that kind of a father to your children. I will say this, it is the way God has refathered me that has enabled me not just to, you know, I have not fathered and mothered our children that well, but I think I've done a better job with my young people because I began to learn that is how God refathers fathers a person. And I want to say this, why we need to know God as Father. Paul says, you have many teachers and even guardians and mentors but you do not have a father. In fact, the greatest need of the world today is fathers. And the greatest need of the church today is fathers and mothers. And it's Pastor Chu and my biggest dream that many of you do not just become pastors, just become cell leaders, just become some kind of uh, elders or SDL, but you have a father and a mother's heart. Do you want that? Do you want that, SIB? If you do, give, say amen. In the book, The World Needs a Father, this guy, Cassie Carsten, says a very powerful thing. Now this is this man, Cassie Carson. he is actually the chaplain of the Springbok rugby team that won the World Cup during the time of Nelson Mandela. And he actually inspired, uh, he's the one that built the team that inspired the film Invictus. Some of you have seen the uh, movie, a very, very powerful movie Invictus. But he, after that, went on living in Africa, began to interview a lot of people that were coming out from the war of of the African countries. And the the saddest thing he found was that these lives had been mutilated by war. And the cry within them, even though they had butchered other people, very much like the story of James Kawala telling you about that pastor who was a war soldier as a little boy. He began to discover that actually, whether you're from a poor country or a rich country, fatherlessness is the fundamental flaw in society to get today. In his book, he writes this. It is time to recognize father wounds. Last week, we heard about soul wounds. Father wounds is from the psychological department. All right, people who are delving in psychology realize that children and adults growing up very often have father wounds in our lives. And it's time to seriously take up the responsibility of fatherhood so that the sins of the father will not continue to destroy God's marvelous intention for our lives. And then he says this, it's time to recognize how a world suffers when father God is not taken seriously. In other words, I would say this to both you and to myself, if we do not know who God is as father and only know him as master or Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but not our own Father, actually, something is missing. And because of that, His ways cannot be transferred into our lives as His image bears. And He says this, the more I pray and think about it, the more certain I am that the epicenter of world change is restoring a right understanding and practice of godly fatherhood, which is why Malachi, the book of the Old Testament, ends with this phrase in Malachi. Before the coming of the terrible day of the Lord, that means the last days of the Lord, God is turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and of the children to the fathers. Now how does He do that? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus, and that's why He's the centre of it all, is the only means of reconciling our orphan spirit to Father God. And until we have been reconciled to Father God, there is always an emptiness inside us. No matter how much we may try. And that is why I believe that I was very blessed. I was very, very blessed that God began to speak into my life as a father would speak to a child. Do you know that, I just want to say this, it is very easy to go through life without knowing Father God, but you will be the poorer for it in his book, he describes an incident where a young man, a teenager, I think, had just shotgun and killed his father, and even after killing the father, he was put in a cell, and in the prison, every night, this young boy cried out, "Daddy, I want you, Daddy! Where is my daddy? Where is my daddy?" What a cry. He just killed his father. So I want us to understand some of the crimes, some of the heinous, some of the anger raging in men today. And the dissatisfaction in women today come from that wound. And he says this, a lot of the anger in men starts from a sadness in their hearts where something has been missing. And that is why I really believe with all my heart, this understanding of God the Father critical and that's also why in uh, children's ministry uh, next in two weeks time when we do a father's day we really want to bring fathers and children together so would you please join into this phase of event where it's an opportunity we have created for you on a Saturday morning to just just spend time with your sons it's going to be funny games stupid games but who cares what games they are as long as you relate to your son because as a child grows up they want daddy they want daddy, and it's only at that season. Once they're grown up, they don't know where to look for daddy. Now I want to continue with my life. I want to share with you, how did God speak and teach me about allowing me to know God as Father? The first thing is I want to share with you this word, secret. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 18, you see many times this word, secret. Six times, I think. It is being mentioned. When you pray, do not pray just for men to see. But go into your secret place so that God who sees in secret will reward you. Now, whenever I teach that, and when I'm also teaching on prayer and telling people to come to the prayer altars and all that, inevitably people would ask me, Hey Pastor, the Bible tells us to go into the secret place to pray, you know. So why do you ask us to come out and pray in the open one? Uh? So I want to dispel that point. This word got nothing to do whether you pray aloud or you pray secretly or inside your room or pray in public. This word has to do with this thing called the secret place, the hidden place. Not for men to see, not for human eyes. Concealed from human eyes, what I would call the private place of the soul. God started my journey way back in 19... When did we go to Sabah? 1978. When I was there I felt like I was really in a hidden place, in the jungles of Borneo. And in the jungles of Borneo, I often, in the early days, wondered, why on earth am I stuck in that place? In fact, those 14 years were years where, I don't know what happened, but I do know now, that I was hidden from anybody to see. And it was in that hidden place of Sabah that God began to speak and to craft my life. I would say this, especially to young people who are working or even serving. Do not be so ready to push yourself up there because until you have gone into the hidden secret places where no man can see what God is doing, actually, you're too early for your time. I just want to say that even in your office, if you are beginning to ask yourself, why am I stuck in this terrible rut? So boring, day after day, I have to do this boring stuff. Remember, is God does his biggest crafting in the secret place. So I just want to say that. So, my story starts in the jungles of Bono. Actually, not jungle, but it sounded like jungle. I need to exaggerate a bit. It sounded like a jungle. But it was frustrating because there was a hidden work which I didn't even recognize at that time. And I want to say this to young people between 30 to 40 years, those are the years I was there. Those are the years God intends to shape you and mold you. And in those years, if you don't let God shape you and mold you, it's hard to continue for the rest of your life. So I want to share, what is it that God began to do to me? So he began to take me towards three things. First of all, Soon after I was filled with the Holy Spirit in 1984, the Lord began to reveal to me that I must be deeply anchored in His love. And so He began to take me, first of all, the first thing He did when I was filled with the Holy Spirit was that He dealt with the root problem, my deep uncertainty of whether who was I. And so He began to say, if you are the only person in the whole world I would have died for you. How does God anchor us in his love? What is the the revelation of God's love? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God's love. But how do I get to know that? Now, come back to this. And one of the major things God began to say to me is that first of all, he took me to Matthew chapter 6. And this is what God did. He said, for the next one month, every day, when you wake up and spend that time with me, I want you to look straight into my eyes and I want you to say, Father, you see. Father, you hear. Father, you know. Father, you reward. He said, don't look at others. Don't look at yourself because you'll be disgusted. You're disgusted with others. You're disgusted with yourself. You're disgusted with the world. That's not the way to begin. And I realized that God was truly recrafting a person. You know something? We always talk about being born again. How many of you here are born again? You can only be born again if you have a father. You need to be born of the father. So God was beginning to teach me. See, I used to say, wow, I don't know what people think about me. I don't know whether people see this in me. And you know, in those years, God, I was seeing very many things that were not nice about me and people were pointing out all my not nice things to myself. But God says, don't look at them. Look at me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher. I have died. I sent my son to die for you. And as I have died for you, now I want your focus. The Father sees what you're going through. Now, whenever we say the Father knows, many of us immediately get so scared. He knows my innermost sin. Actually, to tell you the truth, God knows the worst about us and the best about us but he loves us just the same amen do you believe that God knows the worst about us I think so but you know something every now this is the love of God when he began to say to me I know when I said father you know do you know what father did he began to say do what I know I'm not interested to know about sin of course you have sinned it's because you have sinned only I died might have no sin before I died. you know what I mean I mean, common sense, right? So stupid. We always think that Father looking at our sins. I mean, if he doesn't know you have sins, he wouldn't have said his Jesus. I mean, just go on with life and get to heaven, right? But that's not important to God. But Father wanted me to see this. He wanted me to know. I know what you're going through. I know you're struggling to learn to pray. I know you're struggling to learn to be a wife. In those days, I really struggled for. I was wife. Then I was mother. Then I was eldest wife. You all three are very very so sad, man. You know, uh, when your eldest wife uh, plus a wife to your husband, uh, people can see uh, you fought already. Some more, you can see me. I uh, don't know how to hide. And then, uh, not only that, your children not so well behaved. Uh. Praise God, they were not too bad. Uh. But, but then I make many mistakes. Uh. Many mistakes. Uh. You want not know, I come to some other parenting class, I'll tell you my mistakes. This one is too shameful to tell. Very shameful to tell. Uh. But in the midst of that, now, this is how God refathers us. God is birthing a son, not just a servant, not just a believer. And he needs to enter in the reality of my life. And he says, I know you're struggling. You know, I used to never go to all these parent conferences and read Parenting James Dobson book because by the moment I read, I feel condemned. So Father says, I know. Just look at me and I'll teach you. Look at me, I know, I know you're struggling, but I love you. I'm here for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The love of God the Father. And he began to say to me, Ephesians 3, verse 17 onwards, he says, Be rooted and established in my love for you. You do not grow roots of never allow your heart to be defiled with offenses, with disappointments. Because if you are rooted in offenses and disappointments, you cannot be rooted in the Father's love. A tree cannot have two roots. It's the only one. And Lord says, look at that tree outside. Well, wow, I tell you, I love... And You know, you all may say, what is prayer? Prayer is primarily a tutoring and a shaping and a birthing of a new being by Father God. That is prayer. That is prayer. That is why prayer starts with our Father. There was a time every day I would say, Father, my Father. You are a Father of the lonely. You are the Father who sees. You are the Father who hears. Hallowed be thy name. You are not just a Father on earth. You are the one on heaven. You are the perfect Father. Oh, Lord, your kingdom must come and save us. And so God began to say, you need to know without a measure of doubt 500%, you must be certain, I love you. I am for you, not against you. See, what is love? What is love? What does it mean? The Father loves us. Now, before I go on, let me continue. Let me quickly finish this. I told my husband, it would have taken me four sermons to do this sermon. So I'm trying to do it in one. The very next thing about what Father God did is not just to love me, to anchor me in His love, but also to discipline me. Because without discipline, I cannot reach my full potential. And without reaching my full potential, I will never be set... There is a sense of incompetence within me. And the third thing that Father God did, which is... Uh, another whole sermon to do is that God began to show me I'm part of the great plan and design of God. I'm not a mistake of God. I'm not just hoping that I will be part of God's plan, but I am part of God's plan. Now, that's another story. What is it that God does when God loves us what is it when God refathers us? What is the final, what are the things that God wants us to develop or to have as he refathers us? As the father interrelates with a child, as the father interrelates, as father in heaven interrelates with me through all my years of life. That's why I say one month, to read this book and to read that chapter and to internalize it. But a lifetime, in this lifetime journey of Father God journeying with me, what is it that God is growing? He's growing my identity, He's growing my security, He's growing my maturity and because there's a maturity and there's a security, i will achieve my prophetic destiny. So let me just go to it, uh, just one point, identity. How did God Grow, how does God grow identity in us? In fact, what is identity? I will first start off by saying that when a child is born, it doesn't know who he is. Identity is like, who am I? When you stand in front of a mirror one day, and after all the accolades and all your performance and all the great things you may have done for God, you can still come to a point where you stand in the mirror and say, Actually, who am I? Is something missing? So we, that is the question. That's identity. And do you know something? Identity cannot. It's not something you can just know. Identity is a result of relationships. Now, let me tell you this. I'm a Pete, right? I'm a child's doctor. So children actually don't know who they are. And that's why children must be nurtured in a human environment. In one of the great experiments done soon after the Second World War, they took the children from an orphanage that were under tremendously good medical care and a wonderful team of doctors and nurses. And they found that these children never was able to thrive. They had what's called social uh, emotional deprivation syndrome. Actually, the child didn't know who they were. They were socially awkward. They were shorter than others. They were more thin. Their IQ was so much lower. In fact, they could not survive in the real world. What had happened to that child? The child had no sense of who they were. What is needed? How does a child know identity? So it happens like that. As the child is being loved, carous, and hugged, and as a constant caregiver, and because the mother is looking at her constantly and seeing him constantly, the child at six weeks begins to say, ah, there is you. If there is you, there must be me. You get it? It's very relational, which is why When you speak to your child, it's eyeball to eyeball. And you look at the child and it says, Girl, you are mine. That creates identity. Now look at this verse. How does God create identity in us? In fact, how does God create identity and security? When Jesus was baptized in uh, Matthew chapter 3, and the heavens opened, a voice came down from heaven and said, This is my son whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. Now, do you know, do you think that Jesus didn't know he belonged to God? Do you think Jesus knew he belonged to God? Yes, I think he did. Why then this affirmation? Why then this declaration? No matter how much you know you belong to your father, no matter how much your children know they belong to you, my husband, as they were growing up and up to today, will every day say to the son, son, he will call them son. Wow, that's a powerful word. Not just Jonathan, Christopher's son. And the word son indicates belonging. Not just Jonathan, Christopher. Of course, that's great. But the son, I love you. And they were going through those very difficult, tumultuous teenage years. Yet he said to them, I love you. So this kind of constant declaration and affirmation into the heart of the soul of a believer steadies the believer and causes the believer to realize, hey, my father... Loves me. I don't care. You all don't love me. ah? My Father in heaven loves me. And that is a powerful identity. Now I want to help you look at this. I want to, before I go any further, I want to encourage those who have not been baptized to be baptized because I absolutely believe That actually baptism does cause the heavens to open and the declaration of God into your spirit, man. Without a measure of doubt, you belong to Him, Amen. And that you are loved by Him and that you're pleased with You. Now look at it. Look at it. This is my son belonging. So when God began to speak to me, He began to look at me. He told me this. Now this is how you relate to me. I don't want you to start telling me all the things that people did to you. I don't want you to blame anybody because that's no good. They cannot help you anyway. And they're all sinners saved by grace. You're a sinner, they're sinners So let go. And then he said, don't even look at your husband because he's only a man. He's a great man, but still a man. And don't look at circumstances, but look at me. Focus on me. You are my son. And that's what he began to say. I want you to look at me. And this is how I would encourage you to understand why every believer... Need to spend this kind of time with Father God if you want to grow in your identity, your security, your maturity, and your destiny. So every day, the Father would say, look at me. Now, don't don't tell me everything first, even if I told him everything that was wrong. He said, look at me. And this is how he looks at me. He said, look at me. And I would imagine Father God holding my face, and he would call me child. Whatever I went through, I brought to him. And says, child, listen to me. And he would say, I love this. No, Child, you are mine. When you walk through the waters, you will not be swept away. You may walk through the fires, you will not be burned. The flames will not scorch you. I just love that verse in Isaiah 43. Child, you are mine. Everybody says, child, you are mine. Say it stronger. Imagine Father God. So, you know something? We are meant to echo back to God what He says. I would say, Child, you are mine. Yes, Lord. I am yours. I am yours. I am yours. Jesus heard that. Second thing Jesus did, uh, He said to Jesus, Affirmation. I love you, love, and I am pleased with you. Now, in chapter 3, Jesus hasn't even been tempted yet. And definitely, he has not healed a single sick person. He has not done any deliverance. Actually, whether Jesus would overcome the temptation or not, we don't know. And whether Jesus can really heal the sick and raise the dead, we also don't know. But you and I are saying, like, but it's Jesus for well, sure he can do. La. But do you know what? I believe that Father God wants us to understand that whatever Jesus went through is the same as it is for us. Do you believe that? That's why our eyes need to be on Jesus. That's why we're following Jesus to even learn about the Father. I began to realize that Father God was pleased with me because he's pleased with me just because I'm his child. How many of you have given birth to little children, babies? I mean, when they're born, I know some of them are very big. How many of you have given birth to babies? Come on. I know you didn't give birth, your wife did, but you have babies lah. Come on, how many of you have had babies, holding babies in your arms, including husbands? Hey, you also had babies, ma. I'm going to say this to my, even my grandson. Now incidentally, Father God is father, not grandfather. This grandfather, when he plays with his grandson, he destroys my house. He said to the grandson, can, can, everything also can play and everything also can go on the floor. That is indulgence. But when Christopher comes in, he takes over... He is not allowed to do that. A father is not a grandfather. So God is not a grandfather. He's only a father, alright? But I'll tell you this, John, I'm sure this is for you, I, uh, Fergus, you know. When you look at your child, you don't say, huh, son, you better become prime minister before I love you, no? Son, you better score 8A's, uh, not 17, 17A's, 17 uh, before I even want to talk to you, no? Do you do that? I look at... First said, especially John, his new father, right? <gasps> Look at my Kia. 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 You don't think Kia is going to be great? In fact, when we go near him, you better not say anything bad about Kia. Because he probably will slap you. So when I go near him, and say, Kia, you're so beautiful. You're going to be a wonderful girl. Which is true, which is true. But as far as the father is concerned, she is already wonderful. Come on, fathers, do you agree or not? Mothers, do you agree or not? Do you know something? When I stand in the presence of my father, I am wonderful. I am the apple of his eye. I almost feel sorry for you. Just now when we were worshipping, I felt I was the only person in the whole world that he was looking at. That is what it means. That is what God is trying to do. The love of the father has to go beyond book work into our soul of our being. That's what God did. Now, we just want to go on. The word voice. Notice that a voice came from heaven. I'm in big trouble. It's 12.30 and I'm only at point one. You have to invite me back for many more services, for a whole conference on Fathering, the voice of the Father is an important truth. The voice could be heard deep in the spirit virtual realm. This voice was not just for the earthly realm. It is in the deep spiritual realm. When Jesus heard the voice, I don't even know if the others heard it. Maybe they did. But this voice was to pronounce to the spiritual realm, angels and demons, that this is my son. And one of the greatest truths, how did God refather me? The voice of the Father daily speaking into my soul, speaking life into me, correcting me, guiding me, preparing me, affirming me, loving me, establishing me. Until the book of God, the word of God, the Logos become a Rima, you have not heard the voice of God. You can go to Bible school and still not hear the voice of God. The voice of God is something that reverberates into your inner man and it becomes alive inside you. So what is it that I was hearing? God began to speak to me. If God is for you, nothing can be against you. So you don't need to go into self-pity. I will be with you through thick and thin. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are many things, crisis in life. There was a time I had to, after I came back from Bible school and then before planting SIB, suddenly I found myself, I have to do business, you know? And it was a difficult type of business. Because now, I'm a salesman. You know, in Sabah, if you're the only pediatrician, the patients line up to see you, you know. Do you know that? Do you know that? Yeah, they line up to see you, you know? Here I was in KL with, I don't know why I was thrown into this job. Now I know why, but I'll tell you, it sounded like I don't know why. And in this job, as having to do sales for my parents' uh, business, I was, had to go into designer's office, architect's office, and sell my products, waiting for them. And then when they look at my call card, you're a doctor, huh? what kind of doctor are you? Huh? Uh, medical doctor or PhD? And I've done a long story. Now, either I could say that was so shameful, or I could say God was still in me and so the father at that time when I planted that business began to say I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're in it at the right time for a purpose. So these are the voices of God that we need to constantly hear. How do you hear this voice unless you spend time with him in the secret place? There's no other place, not here. Here you're hearing second hand. You need to hear it first hand for yourself. How do you know God is for you and not against you? Because you're struggling, you're against yourself, people are against you, people are putting you down. It is in that arena that God steps in and says, I am for you, not against you. And how does that voice become a reality? So when God said this to me, so this is what God did. I would wake up in the morning and God would give me a verse that would be so powerful, that would establish Why? Well. am i might give you an example. John 1 verse 12, for as many as believe upon him to give, give him the right to become the child of God, but not of natural descent of a husband, human's decision, but born of God's will. Now, as I began to wake up, I began to say, hey, I'm not just anybody. I am God's child. I would wake up and I'd say, Father, I thank you. I'm born not of a human decision, of a husband's will, but I'm born of the will of God. Whoa, why don't you say that? I'm born of the will of God. Come on, say, it. I'm born of the will of God, not of a husband's decision, not of a human decision. I'm born of the will of God. I could feel the whole will of God coming in to give birth to me. Whoa, that's a powerful truth. And I would not say it just once. I would not say it softly. I would say it strong and loud. You know why? There are many voices inside our minds. There are many voices inside our spirit. In fact, there are so many voices. Sometimes when we as pastors correct someone, we think that they're angry with us because it's a voice of their father and mother sometimes you go to work your your, 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 your boss shouts at you it's not because you and you get so offended you have to leave the next job then the next boss shout at you you know why you're leaving from job to job this is the voice of your father and mother or your your, your, your your teacher so there are many voices shouting at us so how do you get refathered? all this voice must be announced cancelled but only hear the voice of the father the affirming voice of the father and so every day you can say the same verse until this truth becomes a reality. Today, if you cut me up, God is for me, not against me. God is for me, not against me. He who did not withhold his only son, how can I know God is for me? Because he did not withhold his son. How shall he not along with him freely give me all things? It is God that justifies. Christ Jesus who has died. Who can condemn and bring a charge against God's elect? I am not nobody. I am God's elect. Wow identity, identity, identity. And with that identity comes security. God became a safe place for me. I no longer needed the affirmation of men, And in fact, you know, I, I, I must say this. I'm actually quite an insecure person in those days because I don't come from a perfect home. I had a, very, a lot of problems in my home. There was a lot of unfaithfulness, adultery, and, and a lot of fights and quarrels. And it's a very hard to grow up in a home like that. And, and often I would wonder if we'd be left alone. And not only that, it's a high-performance-driven home. Uh, my, my mother was always driving me to perfection, and I was never felt good enough. Security is this, am I good enough? Will people look down on me? Will people reject me? Do I need to put up many false fronts so that they will love me and accept me? Security is when you begin to say to yourself, you know what, I'm not afraid to tell you the difficulties I go through. You know what, I know that I'm I'm not being condemned, I'm not being judged. And so God became a safe place And as I knew that the Father was totally on my side, not going to condemn me, never to shame me, God never shames us, never. In all my all these years of walking with the Father, He would teach me, He would guide me, He would humble me, but He never humiliates me. And as I walked this journey, I discovered God is truly a safe place. Now, why is that important? Because the next part is important. If God is not safe, when we go through the difficult things of life, we will not allow the discipline of God the Father to come into our lives. Because not only must we be loved by the Father, and I want to say this for all of you who have been through inner healing. The reason why you maybe haven't moved on even after inner healing is that you have not appreciated the need for the disciplines of life to come into you. If God doesn't discipline us, He cannot tutor us or train us to become a mature son. We'd only be a little kid. A three-year-old is different from a 30-year-old. A 30-year-old has maturity. A 30-year-old can enter into their father's inheritance. A three-year-old cannot. And that is why the disciplines of God are essential part of life. But I will tell you this. You will never allow anyone to discipline you, to tutor you, to correct you, and to rebuke you if you did not believe they are 500% behind you. If you believe that that person don't really love you, if you believe that that person is not interested in your final good, actually you won't let that person correct you. The reason why I felt safe for God to remove layers of layers of areas of my life that were not right and I could let him do this is because I felt safe in my father's hands. He was not condemning me. He was not putting me down. He was not comparing me to another person. He was pruning me. See that my father is the gardener. Isn't that interesting? Not even the Holy Spirit, not even Jesus. My father is the gardener. He was pruning me so that I could bear fruits and fruits that will last. That's why discipline is important. Why don't we read this together? And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chases everyone he accepts as his son. And your hardship as discipline, God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. In fact, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Even the perfect fathers only can do some of their discipline. is not perfect, but here is it. But Father God disciplines us for our good. Not just good, for us to receive our full potential, to arrive at our destiny in order that we may share in His holiness and share in His inheritance. That is the final point of discipline. Now, I'll give you a couple of lines and then I'll close with a story. Without maturity, we actually cannot arrive at our destiny. My life has been a journey and I've tried to share it to you in 45 minutes, of a journey with the Father. If you ask me, who am I? You know, last week, James Kawala talks about a very wounded pastor who was not even sure he was born again. Actually, I think he was born again, but his soul had not been rebirthed by the Father. As he talked and talked to this man he says, tell me, who are you? I thought about it, and I began to say this See, I love this verse. Why don't we just read that verse together first? One, two, three. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. Now, this is how, who I am. If you ask me primarily, who am I? I am primarily a son in my father's house. And the word son has nothing to do with gender, but has to do with authority. I'm a son with authority in my father's house. It is a powerful relationship, forging the secret place of the inner person, the soul, where he speaks life into me, teaches me, corrects me, shapes me, reveals Himself to me in ever-increasing glory and the work of Jesus Christ that has made all this possible. It has only been made possible because of the beauty of the cross and reveals me to myself so that I will not be ashamed of myself, so that I will not reject myself. The greatest rejection is rejection of self so that I can begin to embrace myself and prepares me for all that He has assigned for me. In short, My father in heaven has given birth to me. I'm born of the will of God. Brothers and sisters, I am my father's child. Not just a servant, not just a believer. And when I walk into this room, I'm walking into my father's house. It doesn't matter whether I'm a pastor or not. This is my father's house. I'm going to end with this story. You know, way back in Sabah, I went through a lot of things. And a lot of that time hidden in the jungle, support were actually times when God recrafted and reshaped me. I was exceedingly proud, insecure. I had my own human, all these human things that a human being goes through. How does God rebirth a child by spending time with me? So there was a time when in the children's church, in SIB, way back in Sabah in those days, Women are not allowed to preach. Now, that was a little bit of a problem for me because actually, I thought I was a very good preacher because after all, I am actually the national school debater. My team beat the boys' team. And since BM some more. In fact, by form three, I had won the Raja Permaisuri Agong's Shield. Gold, Gold thing was so big. For the best speaker in elocution in the whole of Malaysia. And that was, now I can't speak, and and that was in BM Samoa. So naturally, I felt I had the gift of the gap. And if you have the gift of the gap, and you look at all these guys, you feel like you ought to be given a chance to preach, right? So I would wrestle with Father God. I said, God, Father, it's so unfair. No, why only the men get to do it? It's so unfair. Do it. There's a problem with men. Ah. They look down on us. women. I was really going through a woman's journey. I actually had a lot of problems being a woman because, you know, in my time, if you're born a girl, you're yeah, the worst thing that could have happened to my mother born a girl. So I had to embrace all this. And hi-yo, some of this real male chauvinistic. And, you know, male shamanistic, you know what? They won't let women preach you know. So I, I told God, Father, ask God, what's the point of giving me this gift? Huh? What's the point of giving me this gift if I cannot preach? Huh? Good question, right? Father began to tutor to me. And he said to me, it's not about preaching. It is about impact. What makes you think, the father said, that when you preach, people would listen? Or that you have something to give to them? It is not preaching alone, he says, It's a life that you're going to impart. Really, meh? You mean they're giving life, So Now, this went on for quite a while. Please, when God is tutoring a son, it's not an overnight thing. It went on for quite a while until I began to be satisfied. Yeah, maybe I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready. Now now that I'm ready for it, I actually don't like to preach. Actually, I don't like to preach. I'm telling him, praise God, after June, I don't have to preach till November. (laughs) I told him, so good of you, so kind of you see, human beings are very strange. When we fight for something, actually something else God is trying to show us. Then I found myself, I'm in children's ministry. I'm in children's ministry not because I I so love children. I had to because nobody was looking after the kids and I had two kids. Uh, Jerry Ducing had two kids and there were a few more kids. But you know, in those days in children's ministry, it's not what's like even here. I want you to appreciate everyone in children's ministry because it is tough work. Nobody wants to be in children's ministry. After today, you must all want to be in children's ministry because I I went through 10 years of this. In this 10 years of children's ministry, nobody wanted all this wonderful elder's wife, but never joined me. So I was so angry, you know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) I hit the nail on the head. Because he said, "Yeah, la, they're so grand, lah, huh?" They thought only lah, da da But actually, this is tough work, you know. And you know, our children's ministry in those days is a tin roof. Literally a zinc roof over my head. The, in, if it rains, the rain comes to the leak and come to the floor. And then not only that, I have to hold the child, you know? ah, And all the toddlers were with me. And if it's if your son was shining, it was so odd. Oh, talk about fan. I know fan lah. roof, how to have fan. And then uh, sorry, uh, the parents actually ah, uh, baby children's babysitting, uh, babysitting, no, no, and they don't even respect the babysitter because babysitter don't do you dare not uh, you dare not be angry, be oh, all no no money given to us, uh. actually actually, uh, they just simply uh, are why why you treat my son like that? Why you don't let my son sing during the choir? It was tough but can you please become involved in children's ministry so i was so broken and not only that in those days only one service but 120 people out to have 10 services man Sure, so only one service what right so i don't get to go to church long. No. i don't get to go to, incidentally where did i get my feeding women's groups that's another story so i told you i need a lifetime to teach this there so i went to Church, huh? sometimes when I go inside church, huh? they actually greet me. Hello, welcome to our church. I was saying, I'm Elder Chewing cheese wife, you know. So, you don't know man. You see all the hurts and all the pains, right? Elder's wife also. Okay, la, no title, no things, but still Elder's wife. Ma. And so I went before God. My biggest, you know something? I began to discover God was the best person that I needed to go to number one when I go to him he won't put me down sometimes I don't tell my husband but he's here how to do what I must tell you but he's not listening sometimes I go and tell him he will tell me yeah you're like that one ma <laughs> and I began to felt condemnation right you know, I shouldn't have been like that why I'm like that right but when I go to God he never my father never says why are you that he says child listen to me he only does this listen girl listen girl look at me look at me let me teach you a few things and God began to teach me this it's about tutoring it's about discipline. And he began to say to this, if you think you have so much to share to the adults and you can't share to the children, actually, what do you have? If you cannot teach your great truths to little children, what makes you think you can teach adults? So all you pastors who teach great truths, better go and teach the children, huh? Ten years, a lot of truths. Second thing he says, actually, he says, if you cannot be faithful in little things this little shed the rain come in the wind come up the storm come up the flood come up all I went through and you know, all you don't know me right now if you don't know how I never complained to him There's no point I complained to Jerry Dusing no, because he was in charge of me and if you cannot be faithful in picking up paper in picking up the dirt that the children eat how can I trust you with bigger things? What a tutoring. And I think it's because of this constant tutoring of my heart and my soul that actually when I we started SIBKL with 15 people, do you know what we had to do in those early days? Every weekend, we wash the toilets, we stack the chairs. Even when we move into CP Tower and people's, maybe three 400 people come in, every Tuesday that I went to, and, and we only had three staff, me, Kaylee, and Anne, and when we went inside the office, the cups would be filled with coffee smelling like nothing and the toilets would be stuck with paper. But you know something? It's nothing to me to put my hands with rubber gloves and just take out the paper to clean those cups, to throw it away. And if I walk into a toilet now and I see that the basin is wet, actually it's no big deal whether I pastor, grandfather, or no, not grandpastor, like pastor or, or leader or nobody, It's nothing for me to take a cloth and wipe. You know why? Because this is my father's house. I'm not here as an usher. I'm not here as a pastor. I'm here as a son. And this is my father's house. And I love my father. And my father loves me. Brothers and sisters, Father God wants to relate to you as a father. In closing, can we just uh, read this verse together? before we sing this beautiful song. Let's read this verse together. Why don't we stand up and read this? God has not given us a spirit of fear, fear of condemnation, fear that we haven't done enough, fear that we are not good enough for God, fear that we are not acceptable to God. God has accepted us and we have become acceptable to God because of Jesus. Amen. So let's read this verse. Amen. One, two, three. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. One more time. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father! The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Give a big clap to Father God.